your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, thank you for making Locked On Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. We're here for you all the time on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. We're available whenever and wherever you want to hear us. Be sure to drop a like, follow, or subscription on your favorite podcasting platform of choice to ensure you never miss another episode. On tonight's podcast, there are actually a fair few amount of Winnipeg Jets updates. Of course, uh, Winnipeg did actually play over the weekend against San Jose, and I've got some thoughts on that game, as well as what I kind of expect tomorrow against the Minnesota Wild. But before we talk about any of the in-game action, I thought I would talk about some off-ice stuff that does actually concern the Jets, especially for tomorrow's lineup. And the big announcement is that Blake Wheeler is currently absent in, uh, he's like in some sort of COVID protocol, which it doesn't mean he actually has COVID. It just means that there could be an issue where he maybe came into contact with somebody who tested positive or there was a risk of exposure some other way. Whatever the case may be, he probably isn't positive. My guess is if he was, there would have been a lot more uh, players going into quarantine since he's been around a lot of guys and they've all been practicing together. So my, my hope is that everything is fine, he's not sick, he's not positive, and that he can return in a reasonably quick timeline. I'm sure it's going to be a couple of days before we actually see him back with the team, but if he comes back tomorrow, it does mean that things are okay, he's tested negative and all the good stuff. All of that naturally led to quite a bit of speculation about the lineup, and uh, per Mike McIntyre, there were actually some notes from practice in Minnesota today, and it did generate quite a bit of controversy on Twitter. One of the most controversial things is that, for some reason, Riley Nash took up his spot on the power play, which I know both Nash and Wheeler are righties, and uh, there aren't that many right-handed shooters on the Jets roster, but it's kind of mad to me to put like a PK specialist on your power play special teams. I think Nash is a very decent player. In fact, I think his first couple of games, he's done his well about to the level of expectation. You know, he's a, uh, a smart defensive fourth liner who can occasionally chip in a couple of points here and there. You're not really looking for him to be a major scoring threat. So for me, it's just very puzzling as to why, uh, you know, Nash would be on the power play even during practice. If you're not going to use him there, then what is the point of having him practice and take up the spot of somebody else who could be practicing gaining chemistry with that top power play unit? It doesn't make sense to me unless, you know, the, the primary thing would be he's actually going to be on that spot. I can't see any other reason not to have one of the other shooters take that spot if the intention was not to play Nash there. If he is actually supposed to be on that unit... Well, you know, he's going to be practicing with the top power play group, and I think a lot of people who are saying, oh, it's not going to be the case tomorrow, well, I think you're wrong. I think he's actually going to be anchoring that spot unless Wheeler comes back. To me, all of this is very strange when, you know, you obviously have a lot of left-handed shooters, and while that's not exactly ideal to be on your offhand and stuff, it also doesn't really make sense to me to have a guy who's just not really a power play player. You know, you're looking for a guy who can be an offensive creator and finisher. That's not really what Nash does. 
you've got other players who could probably do the job. I know that Neil Pionk as a uh, one-time option on that flank is not exactly a particularly sexy option, but given the choice between him and somebody like Nash, I would take Pionk all day. I think he would probably be capable of doing a little bit more in terms of offensive creation and shooting than somebody like, you know, Nash. I, I just don't really think Riley is a good fit for that spot. And unless he suddenly scores like a Hattie or something tomorrow, I'm not really changing my thought on this. It kind of leads me to some, like, larger overarching concerns I have about this team as we head into the season. The first couple of games, it's obviously very early in the season, but I think a lot of people misunderstand why many of us tend to be a little bit hesitant on being super bullish about this team. The coaching staff is still the same. A lot of the issues and decision-making that have kind of been an issue with this team over the past few years, they haven't really gone away. The lineups still aren't really where they need to be in my mind. I think you need to do a couple of things to maybe shave off some minutes here and there on a couple of other players, especially some of the veterans, and look to bring more of the kids into the fold. If you've got, you know, a lot of really talented young players like Ehlers, Shifley, and all of these other kids, it's kind of mad not to give them more time and ask the really, you know, older veterans who are maybe not as capable of keeping up as they used to be to anchor those top, you know, 25 minutes a night. They're not really playing that much necessarily, but they're certainly playing well over 20 minutes, and that's that's already too much. I think the Jets could better balance their lineups and preserve the team for the rest of the season by cutting back and redistributing some of those minutes. It's equally baffling that you look at a special teams problem and, and see that the power play has actually had trouble converting, and you decide to then opt to put on Riley Nash, who is a PK specialist, into that shooting spot. I, I get it. You know, there aren't that many right-handed players that you feel would be a fit for that role and who could avoid disrupting the first power play unit, but yeah, putting a defensive specialist in a one-time role, I don't really understand that. There's just not really a logical explanation for why you would do that. Even given the handedness issue, it just doesn't really track that you have many other shooters who could probably shoot on their offhand and do it reasonably well, and then you opt to go for the guy who really isn't known for shooting at all. It wasn't like this power play unit was really soaring with Wheeler either, so... You know, for me, it's just very confusing, and I don't understand why the Jets' power play has suddenly started introducing a lot of weird decisions. You know, we saw it in um, the, the preseason, Veselainen as like a, uh, a below-the-goal-line kind of player, which didn't really make sense. Dubois as a one-time option in the right face-off circle, again, didn't make any sense. It's like at a core fundamental level, somehow the Jets misunderstand what their best players are capable of doing. And they keep, like, changing the roles and assignments for these guys, which, you know, in preseason you might say, well, they're just experimenting and seeing what they have. But then they do very similar stuff once it actually gets to the regular season, and you're kind of like, was it really all that much of an experiment, or is this just how you see these players? I feel like I've been left with more questions than answers in just a couple of games, which is not really the most reassuring feeling. I think long-term the team will probably be fine, but these early couple of games, there's been some odd stuff, and I kind of wonder what exactly the longer-term outlook for this team is. If the coaching staff doesn't really want to fix things, and they're happy with the current level of performance, I would have some concerns. I highly doubt that's the case, but I also would suspect that some of the stuff that I think is an issue they don't necessarily agree with. We'll get a better sense of what exactly the Jets do and don't value as we head over into the, uh, the regular season for the next few weeks. For now, though, it is time to transition into actual regular NHL season action. I wanted to talk a little bit about the game uh, over the weekend against the San Jose Sharks, as I think some of the stuff that I've just mentioned is actually fairly relevant there. Before we get to that, though, I thought you should hear a little bit about why direct TV streaming is your best value option for all of your TV streaming needs. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. 
Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV all together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract whatsoever. So get rid of that clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. Compatible with device required. Content varies by package. Go to directtv.com for more information. Hello, friends. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. It is now time to discuss uh, a game that I think a lot of people were maybe hoping for a slightly better result, but uh, of course I'm referring to Winnipeg versus San Jose. After the uh, the rather disappointing season opener against the Ducks, honestly, I was a little bit hesitant to think that the Jets were going to walk into San Jose and actually get a good result. Um, the Sharks, in my mind, are... Well, they're definitely not a good team, right? They're still rebuilding, but I thought that they might be better than the Ducks. And in certain ways, they were. Anaheim's a pretty poor team right now, and it's not really super shocking. They've had to let a lot of their talent go, and certainly a lot of the guys who were on the older side and really didn't fit into their long-term plans, they've kind of let move on to other teams or even retire. So, um, you know, the, the Ducks... I thought they would be an easier opponent, but of course that didn't really turn out, and you know, then the Jets have to walk into San Jose and get a win, which you know I wasn't really optimistic for. I, I felt like the Sharks had a better forward unit. Um, the defense, I don't know if it was really that much better, but you know, the, the Jets kind of came out with a decent amount of jump, and it really was noticeable when the Pierre-Luc Dubois line came out. I thought Dubois had one of his strongest games as a Jet. He actually had a really great goal, and in general, his performance and possession, um, his creativity, his passing, his use of his really strong frame on the puck, all of that really came into play, and I felt like he had a really complete performance. His goal definitely felt like a just reward for an early strong performance, and he continued to excel throughout most of the game. I thought he was easily one of Winnipeg's best players, and uh, it, it felt pretty positive to see that the Jets were, at least in the first period or so, bossing a lot of the even-strength play. The Sharks weren't exactly getting pasted, but they were struggling to keep up, and you could kind of tell that Winnipeg, at least early on, was, well, a little bit livelier and a little bit more dangerous. The Jets then uh, kicked off the second period with a little bit of penalty trouble, but thanks to Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry, they actually made the Sharks pay instead and scored a shorty. You'd think that'd be a good sign, except for some reason the Jets are a little bit cursed, and then they took a uh, another penalty and then this time, uh, San Jose actually scored a shorthanded goal just a few minutes later. The Jets then continued to take penalty after penalty, which was kind of a recurring theme throughout much of this game. I felt like Winnipeg's discipline was, well, to put it lightly, a bit poor. And, uh, you know, having seen the PK during preseason and against the Ducks, you could kind of tell where this game was going. And uh, naturally, Jasper Weatherby scored his first NHL goal on the power play. A great shot, but also one that Hellebuck probably wouldn't be thrilled with letting in. His depth in his crease was a little bit too deep, and it caught him on a very bad angle. And, you know, the Jets continue their tradition of giving up milestone goals for some reason. And this Weatherby goal just sort of seemed to switch something in Winnipeg. After that, it was basically all Sharks, and it was especially noticeable once we hit the third period. From there, San Jose never really looked back. The Jets were poor. I thought that they made a lot of really poor passes. They turned the puck over constantly. Uh, it just felt like they were super disorganized. The defense was caught out numerous times. Hellebuck really struggled. Um, and it was just a really ugly game, and I felt like 
that second goal against really seemed to to just turn the tide of the game completely, and Winnipeg looked very much outclassed. Um, Tomas Hurdle and then Rudolf Spousers ended up scoring, making it four to two. Uh, and the only real consolation prize was a Janssen Harkins goal that came off of a really fortunate bounce near a, a rebound opportunity. So I don't want to sound any alarms, but I feel like the stuff that's happening to the Jets, it's not stuff that we're, I would say, um, not used to. It's not particularly new. And so my concern is that some of the old habits that the Jets have had over the years, they're still kind of with us. And that's not really a positive sign. I also felt like demoting Cole Perfetti in place of Harkins was kind of a strange move when Perfetti is the more talented and more creative player. I know that Cole had a couple of shifts that night where he wasn't really keeping up as fast as we'd like. He was chasing the play at times, which is not super shocking. I think the team in general was chasing a lot of the play and it was kind of um, frustrating and disappointing to watch, but then to promote Harkins over Perfetti, I didn't really understand that. I don't really know if you can even say that move was rewarded either, because even though Harkins scored, it was more of a, a fortunate bounce and stuff than a goal that was really a result of a hard-working shift from him. He's obviously a good player, and I think that he can be an effective um, scorer and playmaker at times, but certainly the stuff that we see with him in preseason and the stuff that we get with the regular season it just doesn't always align, and I feel like Harkins was, for me, not enough of a difference maker to get that promotion. I think if Perfetti actually got, you know, deployments with talented line mates, we would see him blossom and score tons of points. I think the Jets' top six would really benefit from his skill sets, and in general, this team would just be a lot stronger. I think, you know, Perfetti brings a lot of skill sets and tools that right now the Jets don't have a lot of. And uh, and now down Blake Wheeler heading into the game against Minnesota, I feel like it'd be crazy for Perfetti not to get a longer look. I know that the Jets don't think he is the number one guy, but like right now, I mean, but, you know, down the road, he probably will be. And so, you know, we're seeing other players kind of take these spots, and I, I just don't really understand what some of these guys have done that's significantly better enough to warrant a promotion. Sometimes you really need to let the rookies grow, and if you're already getting smacked around against a team like the Sharks, you might as well let the kids do their thing and get cut loose. Otherwise, you're going to be watching the same veteran struggle to create time and time again. Perfetti can be a legitimate difference maker if he's given the opportunity to be so, and so, for me, I just felt like this game was really disappointing. I didn't like a lot of the tactical decisions and stuff that kind of came out of it. And quite honestly, it made me a little bit uh, a little bit nervous about their game against the Minnesota Wild, which will be tomorrow. I actually have some thoughts about that game that I wanted to share with you. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I thought you should hear about why Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. Are you someone who loves protein bars? Are you tired of all of your favorite protein bars tasting like ash and dirt? Maybe you're ready for a change. And as a fellow protein bar appreciator, I can tell you that Bilt Bar is your best alternative. It's the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. It comes in several delicious flavors like salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and so many other great flavors. Bilt Bar often releases very special, limited edition, limited quantity flavors that once they're gone, they're gone for good, so stay tuned to their social media platforms and their website to make sure you never miss another flavor. As delicious as Bilt Bars are, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and 17 to 18 grams of protein. Bilt Bars are perfect for every lifestyle, whether you're looking to maintain or lose weight. Placing your order couldn't be easier. Go to Bilt.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at Bilt.com. Place your order today for the best tasting protein bar on the market. 
Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight with some thoughts on tomorrow's game against the Minnesota Wild. I'm going to assume that uh, Blake Wheeler is going to be unavailable, so here is the current practice lineups as reported by Mike McIntyre, who is currently in Minnesota, checking out the uh, the practice rink and stuff. Bear in mind, these lines are definitely not finalized, but what we have so far is Connor Shifley Cop, Stastny, Dubois, Ehlers, Harkins, Lowry, Veselainen, and Zvechnikov, Nash, Perfetti, which it's it's all right. Um, I think Connor Shifley Cop could be all right. Cop uh, hasn't really been the same player over the past couple of seasons. I still think he can be effective if you give him the right line mates, but maybe with Connor and Shifley, don't know if that's exactly the world's best mix. We'll find out soon enough. Stastny, Dubois, Ehlers seems like a bad mix because Stastny's not going to be able to keep up with those two. I think, you know, as PLD and Nick have started to find real chemistry, it means that they basically need to constantly fly and move, which I don't know if Stastny is that kind of player. I might actually try Svechnikov here. Uh, I, I don't exactly know where you would play Stastny other than maybe putting him on the third line with Lowry and Veselainen. It's not what I would describe as an ideal fit, but it might be the better orientation. You give Svechnikov some really good distributors, and honestly, Ehlers and Dubois could use a really talented finisher who's got a booming shot from you know all sorts of really hard angles. So I would have gone with Svechnikov, Dubois, Ehlers. Not going to happen. Harkins probably should have been uh, you know on the fourth line with Nash and Perfetti. I'd have also promoted Perfetti very clearly. I think Cole deserves a shot with some really good players. You know, Connor Shifley, Perfetti would have been pretty darn sick. Um, Perfetti, Dubois, Ehlers, also really sick. For some reason, he's on the fourth line. I, I really feel like that's kind of burying a lot of his best skill sets, but maybe he can take advantage and find a way to score anyways. He's come pretty close to getting some points. It's just a little bit of puck luck that sort of needs to go his way, and honestly, he could stand to take a shot or two himself. I think he could have a point in tomorrow night's game. Maybe uh, maybe more than one would be ideal. I don't expect him to be getting a ton of ice time, probably 10 minutes or less, so I'm really hoping that he makes the most of it and somehow scores. It's a shame that he's the one who's been demoted and, and considered the more expendable player. I know that he will be demoted here to the Moose pretty soon, but that honestly makes it such that I really want to see more of him, especially before he gets sent down. What I'll say about the Wild is that I think they're going to be a really difficult opponent. This is a much better team than either of San Jose or Anaheim, and the Jets have historically struggled to really find good gaps against the Wild. I know that they have beaten them when they were a lot more offensively well-rounded. This team, given how they've struggled so far with a new up-tempo style, um, some of the basic passing and stuff that still eludes them, bad turnovers, some defensive chaos... All of that stuff kind of has me thinking that tomorrow's game, we should probably expect a loss. Winning on the road in Minnesota is difficult anyways, but it's doubly so when you're still kind of working through a lot of stuff. You now have an injury to one of your main players, or at least a, a guy on paper who is considered a top six player, and you're coming off the heels of some pretty rough games. I think Hellebuck could bounce back in this one unless he gets the night off. Maybe they go with like Comrie or something, but given that, you know, it's just a couple games into the season... I really see no reason why Hellebuck doesn't start. Funny as it is to say, I think he was a lot better in the third period against San Jose than he was in the earlier periods. He did concede two goals, but you know some of that's not really his fault. If he can dial in against uh, the Minnesota Wild, there is a shot that the Jets could pull out maybe a point or two. I think it's just going to be really hard, though. i got to be honest. I want to be more optimistic and high on this team, but after the past couple of games, it's clear that there's A, a lot of work to be done, and B, some stuff that for me... It's going to be holding Winnipeg back until it changes.
I'd be curious to know what you're expecting in tomorrow's game and what you thought over the weekend with uh, the Sharks and the Ducks having been rather frustrating games. Let me know what your thoughts are and what you would do differently. Be sure to let me know at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For now, though, that is going to do it. Thanks for making Locked on Winnipeg Jets your first listen every day. Now it's time to make your second listen Locked on Fantasy Hockey. Host Scott Cullen leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all your favorite platforms. As always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.